There is something sacred about a place and the objects it contains. Removing those objects, whether it's a rock from a stream or a candlestick from a shelf, one can, if attuned, feel the place respond. It changes slightly, adapts to the removal. Dust fills in where there once was none. Water used to flowing around suddenly flows through. A safe haven of a crawfish no longer provides cover. That which was hidden, now exposed. When someone dies, the place where they live starts to shift immediately in response to their absence. The objects that once held memories or importance, serving as a living record of occupation, lose purpose, and in literal and figurative ways begin to curl and fade like a flyer in a window of an empty store. And so, one must, when surveying all that remains, make choices about what to take away, be deliberate about what to bring home, and consider how owning it may change your own air, your patterns, your memories, your flow. It's not a casual decision. Whatever energy or curse is attached to that thing is now something for you to deal with or remedy. And once you have that object wedded to your place of being, what happens to the carefully woven spell, the specific role that that thing held in its old moorings? Is it like raiding a tomb of an ancient pharaoh? Move one jeweled scarab and the whole thing could collapse around you? Will your parents' home crumble piece by piece, dissolving into sand as you cart off more things away along the New Jersey Turnpike? Can you tell I'm still dealing with a lot of stuff? <laughs> well, I am. We all are, I suppose. Which is why I encourage us to explore these ideas further with thoughts about displacement, adjusting to loss, dealing with absence and allowing for new neural pathways to form when we open our minds, turn off our internal edit function, and give in to the swirling, churning abyss that is the deep night. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so happy to be your host, guide, and guru through this next hour of regrets and revelations we call the Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and let me tell you, the Gowanus is looking more powerful than ever, dare I say, healthier. It's turning a distinctive shade of green, rich and deep, and not unlike these new pouches of AG1 from Athletic Greens <laughs> that I now have. Galinda is always trying to get me to try some new powder or potion she finds in the back of her wellness catalogs, but I think she's finally on to something with AG1. She saw me struggling with my weekly pill box the other day, and she took the thing away from me, threw it in the recyclable bin, and handed me a very handsome individual scoop filled with dust, and it has turned my life around. She told me I had to give up all the pills because there was an easier way to get my body into absorption mode. 
In fact, with AG-1, I could allow my body to receive a direct message of the good stuff. Just add water and get in 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, right where they are needed most. Now, this special blend of ingredients in AG-1 supports gut health. It supports my systems, my nervous system, and my immune system, and it helps boost energy, recovery, and focus. All the things I need to endure a full moon ritual at Gary and Linda's house. Don't worry, I still keep my mask on, despite what Gary thinks about science. It also helps make a great podcast. I made the switch to the simple micro habit with big benefits, and you can too. Do you enjoy a taste that reminds you of a visit to the tropics? Well, then you'll be as crazy about the stuff as I am. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's one small thing you can do every day to take great big care of yourself. And in addition to all the benefits for your person, they're an environmentally friendly, 100% carbon neutral company doing good for the environment as well. This podcast relies on a lot of carbon, specifically mine, but also my guests. Now, tonight on the program, it's such a pleasure to welcome actor, teacher, writer, comedian, improviser, musical talent, Tarek Davis, to the program. Tarek made his Broadway debut in 2019 with the hit show Freestyle Love Supreme and can currently be seen on the Amber Ruffin Show streaming on Peacock. Tarek has appeared in multiple commercials and television shows such as Late Night with Seth Meyers, Ray Donovan, Friends from College, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and more. I very much appreciated the wisdom and laughter of our conversation, so let's get to it right away. This is me with Tarek Davis. Tarek Davis, welcome to the deep night. Uh, thank you for having me uh, in the deep night. I am ready, ready yes. to get into this deep night. Yes, let's do it. How are you this day? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. Good. Yes, you see. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I just tried a new soap. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of things about soap. You know, I'm a fan of soap, but I've been doing liquid soap, and then yeah. apparently that's not as great for the environment. So, are you a liquid soap? Or are you a bar soap? What's your soap? I'm so glad you asked uh, <laughs> because I'm trying a new eco-friendly mm. uh, liquid soap. Oh, okay. Okay. Trying to get the boast, the Beth, Beth of Boast worlds. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Beth best. of Boast worlds is the Beth that I want because <laughs> I like the liquid soap. I like my loofah. Yeah. I don't like the bar of soap just in the shower, you know. And here's the only thing that I, this is my first time using it. Uh, uh, one, it's an aluminum bottle. Okay, mm. that's fine, but it doesn't do the squeeze. You can't squeeze it. So I'm oh. left with a pour out situation, which oh. is difficult to judge sometimes how much you're yeah. gonna get yeah, yeah 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 you gotta moderate that's that's you right you know I i'm uh i'm a pump. two pumper yes the, you know two pumps yeah. is usually good that covers the whole body there you go one for the top one for the bottom yeah that would change that would change <laughs> yeah. up my system um having <laughs> yes. to pour it out 
Yes. But look, soap is important, man. Uh, soap is important. Uh, and I had hoped it's a, a kind of a white pine. And I had hoped Ooh. for a, a more aggressive woodsy flavor uh, and scent, uh, something akin to like a, a air freshener in a car, one of the little trees. Right, um, right, right. Uh, this is a very subtle, very subtle. <laughs> It's subtle. subtle. A whispering pine is what Ooh. I think it would be. So mm. I don't know. If a tree falls in the shower, <laughs> Will does I smell it doesn't cover the funk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyhow, Derek, uh, it's wonderful to meet you. And uh, here's why I wanted to have you on, not just for your insights into the world of cleansers, although I'm appreciative of that. Yeah. You're someone uh, to me who seems to be uh, what I would call a joy bringer. Oh. You, you seem to lift the energy of any room that you're in. Does that feel accurate to you? Oh, I I have not been on the receiving end of said joy, so I don't know if it's accurate, but it is a very uh, lovely thing to be accused of being. If I am <laughs> accused of being anything, I would gladly, uh, I'd love to be accused of being a joy bringer. Yes. Well, that's my that's my impression, and I just wish I knew how to also be such a person. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm happy to be here. You make me happy already talking about the soap. Um, that's some joy right there. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I like to, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just considerate of people's time, you know? Like, you yes. know, you come into the room and, you know, take stock of, I like to think of myself of, like, you know, Every situation can be scary, but it's like you're a bull in a china shop and other people's feelings and emotions and whatever, like everybody's got their own places and context they're coming from. So don't don't whip that tail around or those horns and crash some plates like <laughs> keep it positive. And, and it sounds like also leave a little bit of room, leave a little bit of room. Yeah, yeah. you ain't got to yeah. you got to take up that whole space. No. <laughs> No, and I imagine that comes from some good improv training too, uh, which maybe we'll talk about. But uh, it, you're you're someone whose uh, career, it seems to me, is a testament to determination, uh, mm. time, and an embrace of oneself uh, uh, to to be able to make it in this business. And uh, I'm so intrigued by everything you've done and that you're doing, and probably the thing. Uh, that I'm most jealous of, which is where I like to start, <laughs> oh, is, oh. is of this role as an announcer and uh, collaborator oh. on the Amber Ruffin show. Oh man, yeah, I get to I get to play around and make silly with my sister, man. It's just, <laughs> it's just a blast. Um, yeah, I I like to say, you know, I've said this uh, to a lot of people, but I have like the luckiest non-seat in the house. I get to watch. <laughs> You know, Amber is a good friend of mine. Uh, known her for over 15 years. Um, we started doing improv together overseas in Amsterdam. That's how we right. met. Right, right. Uh, That's the we, thing that uh, Seth Meyers also did and uh, right. Sudeikis. And, uh, Sudeikis, Jordan, Jordan. Peele, yeah. Ike Barinholtz, uh, Brandon Hunt, you know, uh, who with Sudeikis created... Um, uh, I'm blanking Ted on Lasso. Ted Lasso, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it's like this weird comedy, like, boot camp um, in the Netherlands. Uh, might as well be on Pluto. Like, <laughs> right. you're doing improv, you're doing musical improv, uh, freestyling, singing, you're doing sketch, uh, you're hosting. Um, 
there's, you know, so you're learning like how to, and you're doing it to an audience who, you know, uh, the Dutch, they, their English is amazing. Uh, dare I say better than ours, <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. uh, but you know, it's still their second language. So, you know, you can't really rely on pop culture references. You can't really rely on, you know, your mannerisms have to be a little bit more exact and exaggerated and presentational. And so you learn all these like really sharp skills in this insane job and you're doing it again. You put that list out there of who's working that job with people who are really good. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it sharp, it definitely sharpened my tools as a performer and definitely sharpened Amber's tools. You can see that it's clear as day, but I think the, there's a, the other thing about the nature of the job is, you know, you're kind of just dropped in this, you know, for me, I was a year out of college. Uh, Amber and I were so young, had never really been super away from home. Um, and so, yeah, I'm learning, I'm, it's a culture shock. Yeah. And Amber and I being like the two black people, there, are kind of like, all right, uh, <laughs> let's <laughs> hang out. <laughs> let's get to have each other's back. Right. That's a whole, another level uh, yeah. <laughs> to the experience. Um, right. But uh, the, the thing itself is called Boom. Uh, Boom Chicago. Boom Chicago. And then you started in Chicago and they say, well, great, you've, you've made the company. We actually perform uh, over here. <laughs> so I was based in New York. Oh, okay. When I got that job. So I was doing comedy at UCB, the yes. early days, um, back when they were on 22nd. And I was there for when they moved to the 8th Avenue space. Yeah. Um, and I, so Colton Dunn, uh, if you yes. know Colton Dunn, he's an actor. He was on Superstore, a very funny comedian. Right. We were on the same Harold team. And Colton Dunn signed me up for... The Boom Chicago auditions without my permission and didn't ask me to sign me up because he had been working there a year prior and he worked there for a whole year. And I was like, I so I kind of knew about it in like a cursory level. I knew you could go out there and get paid, but it was short form. And I was like, you know, uh, I'm a long form improviser, you know, kind of <laughs> for those yes. who, who know um, the different schools of thought about that. And I've done both. And but at the time, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out here in New York. I don't really know about this. What is this? And he was like, dude, just show up. And I did. And I got a call back. And it wasn't until the call back that I realized, like, oh, this is something else. Um, <laughs> like, there were people who flew in from Chicago, people who flew in from L.A. Um, there were a bunch it's a, of It's a real deal. Of, it was a real deal. It was, like, some yeah. of my favorite performers in the city at the time with the callback and there was a dutch journalist there covering it and i was like wait what is this <laughs> and yeah it was literally right after the the callback that i found out um and had to make the decision of like all right do you take all your stuff and just go overseas and right. yeah um glad i did it that first year was incredibly difficult um it's such a it was a big learning curve uh there were so many amazing performers doing so many scary you know it's like you know doing comedy at ecb and then like auditioning to find out you're in circus delay it's like oh, uh i don't know if my skill set translates um right 
and yeah, so you know, after that first year, you kind of I got the job, and uh, and then after that, it was just like a beautiful experience of learning a different culture, learning a different language, performing comedy, that becoming not just a it became, you know, not that it was a recreational pursuit when I was at UCB, like I was really serious about it, but you know, it was a professional pursuit. Like you were, you were a paid performer. People are coming and paying to see you. So that takes, so you, you know, the respecting, when I talk about respecting people's time, like, yes, like that was a big part of it. It's just like, oh no, these people paid to see the show. I have to give 110%. Right, sure. You have to honor honor the agreement in, in that right. situation. Um, exactly. Well, not to oversimplify things, but it also would it would seem to me the Dutch. Uh, my experience is limited. Uh, I've been over there, but uh, there's certain efficiency to it, um, oh, yeah. and so that probably makes it <laughs> into they are probably efficient with praise and or not praise, but also in their response, which means you kind of gauge how to be efficient oh, on yeah. stage as well, right? Yeah. I mean, well, the that's a great the Dutch are notoriously or at least in the Netherlands uh but I think in other other places as well like they're known for their efficiency and part of that like to have a culture that's so efficient and so you know it's beautifully minimalistic in the <laughs> Netherlands, Netherlands but that all but when you apply that to comedy or a comedy audience like it gets weird cuz they don't laugh uh, and there's also a lot of brutal honesty. So that first year when I'm talking about it was rough, it's like, oh, no, you were, uh, you were terrible. Like after a show, you're here to surrender. Oh, no, you were really horrible. Let me buy you a beer. Like uh, not mean, but very honest. And the idea of, so you really, it really, for me, and I think Amber would agree, and I think anybody who performed there, makes you hyper aware of the room temperature. Yeah, and how to raise it. It's like, all right, how do I get this audience that's culturally conservative when it just comes to laughing? How do I get if I get them to laugh? And like, all right, I've done something. If I get to a level where I can control the kinds of laughs I get, and then and it's not just the Dutch audience because uh, Amsterdam is a little. It's not that it's central, but it's such a hub. So you have maybe on a given night. You have about 60% to 70% Dutch people in the audience. And then you could break up that last 30% uh, from people from other parts of Europe. There's always going to be the American tourists coming in and people from right. other parts of the world. And if you can get them all with you, like you, that's, you've really learned something. And I'll credit that place. Um, I'll credit Boom Chicago for the rest of my life for giving me those tools. Yeah, yeah, and so key to everything, and wonderful that in that uh, a cauldron uh, there, you were also able to forge a relationship with Amber, uh, a, a creative partnership that um, you know the rhythms, and especially when you're able to dial it in to that degree of efficiency of when yeah. to bring it up, when to give her more room, when right. to to be the bull, <laughs> when, right. when not to be. Um, right. That's that's so key. I wonder if. Um, 
in the role of just the announcer piece of it, um, because that's something I have a, a great um, uh, affection for. Did you think about the voice because it sets the tone uh, for for the show? I mean, to to welcome everybody in is such a key role. Was there any hesitation of like, how should this be played? Or was it just really, I'm out there and I'm just do do me? <laughs> there, there was at first, it was such a, I didn't know. So I guess the, the, the timeline of events, I first heard about the show when Amber, so um, I made my Broadway debut with Freestyle of Supreme in 2019. Yes. And so uh, I was luckily enough, uh, lucky enough to uh, get Amber to come and do a show with us. And so this December of 2019, and, you know, uh, it was an incredible experience. We got like a standing O, and it was very reminiscent of Boom, like in a lot of different ways. Not uh, The standing O was the, the, the exception. <laughs> um, but I remember like, you know, me and Amber were holding hands with a bow, and I look over to my right and she's tearing up and I'm tearing up and we're like, oh, this is a moment. We've been booed so many times. And here we are like on Broadway and it was her Broadway debut and it was a special moment. And we hung out after with a bunch of friends and she was like, I had heard about the deal she uh, that had gone through with Peacock that the Amber Ruffin show was coming. So I was also very happy for her. And she was like, yeah, um, you know, uh, have no idea what the show is going to be about, but it'll probably involve me, Jenny Hagel, uh, the director and head writer, and you. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And that was it. And then, like, the pandemic happened. And it wasn't until uh, late, early September of 2020 uh, when she was like, so, hey, remember when I told you about that show? Um uh, yeah, we're we're going in. We're gonna film it in two weeks. Uh, do you want to come in and be the announcer? And so when she said that, I was like, Oh wow! Um, all right, yeah. And I was still thinking like I'd come in and I'd lay, either lay a voiceover track or I didn't know it'd be on camera. I didn't quite understand. And when she fully explained it to me, I was like, Oh, I'll be there, and it'll be. This was before we had an audience, and I was like, It'd just be me and you. And so the idea of like, all right, I'm the announcer. And you think of all the great announcers just at 30 Rock. <laughs> sure. And I'm yeah. like, ooh, do I try to, like, I'm sure they went to, they trained for that. Do I try to emulate Don Pardo? Like, <laughs> right. I don't think I can, I don't know if I can bring it like that. Um, and so I kind of, no one was pressuring me uh Amber, no one else was pressuring me to do anything but be myself. And when I realized, all right, you know, uh, when I got into the space and it was me and Amber and I was like, there's no audience. So I think everyone is, I think the smart thing is just um, inviting people to see us be us. And so... I'm just going to be me, and hopefully that translates into a welcoming and warm, you know, situation. Right, right. And and your role announcer is kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of the things that you do, because you really are sidekick, collaborator, player in the company. 
uh, of all the things that happen on that, which also draw on all the things that you've mentioned before with musical comedy and improvisation and uh, sketch. Yeah. yeah, it's such a blast. I get to, yeah, there's such a bag of toys we get to play with. And I'm so fortunate I get to be there and like, you know, and Amber and like, you know, I really mean it when I say it's the best non-seat. Like I'm watching my friend who I've seen grow and we've grown together, but now seeing her like be the captain of this ship. <laughs> right. And it's incredible. Um, and she's doing it with a plume and then like, oh, you want us to, want me to sing a, a silly song with you? Cool. <laughs> um, right. Uh, put on a, a silly costume and do a bit? Cool. This is what we were doing at, at, uh, at a Boom Chicago. So, oh, right. yeah, uh, the fact that I get to to do more than just announce it's such a such a boon yeah um well you mentioned how many boos and things you got in in various shows is there a show either through boom chicago or any other venue that has been so bad that it just still to this day sticks with you oh yeah um, not that the show was bad that it just that that's how it was received or you know yeah no i there's so many um I mean, there's the recent shows, <laughs> you know, uh, that I've had that I'm like, Ugh, you didn't see me on the best night. And, you know, this doesn't answer your question, but, you know, uh, I can when I I could be really hard on myself for shows. And uh, I had a improv coach uh, and teacher who saw who we did a show and he was in the audience and I didn't think the show was great. And someone came up to me after the show and was like, oh, man, you were great. It was a really great show. And I kind of just like, poop. I was just like, ah, yeah, well, whatever. And I kind of poo-pooed it because I was in my head about what I did. Sure. And the coach saw that and was like, hey, don't do that. That person came up to you. That's a big deal. And what they saw and what you feel like you did are two different things. And if somebody compliments you, and if somebody's there for you, like accept that because it's not easy to go up to somebody and just be like, hey, man, what you did really touched me in some way. Right. Respect that. And that note stuck with me. And even to this day, when I feel like I have a bad show and then you go out and people are like that was incredible. Um, it kind of taught me like, right, this is all toilet paper, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is a horrible analogy. But uh, but I, I use it. To this day, if I'm ever teaching improv or like the privilege, the 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 prize, the goal, uh, the beauty that we get to do this, that's the thing. We get to do it in the moment. But then you gotta discard it. You gotta just forget about it. Take the positive, take the nutrients, and don't dwell. Keep it moving. Yeah. It's so true that the the good energy, it seems the body knows exactly what to do with it and is efficient in processing right. it. And we take it and we keep going. But that bad energy kind of sits with you, uh, almost like a puzzle that needs to be solved and gets lodged in. Like, why is this not working the way it's supposed to? And uh, that, yeah. can, <laughs> that can yeah. linger and it can, can become very terrible. <laughs> it can be terrible it can manifest in a whole voice and yeah. your or a whole persona and like you can just be like uh you know that that editor or whatever that voice is um you know uh you know uh, when teaching for freestyle of supreme there's a part where we talk about the science of improv 
because um, two of the founders working, uh, it's not MIT, it was uh, it's in San Francisco, I forget the name of the school, but they actually went into an MRI machine and freestyled. <laughs> and uh, the MRI machine picked up that when you're freestyling, the prefrontal cortex, um, I, I believe, if I do not swear by this, I could be totally getting the, the, the languages wrong, That's uh, right. the, the terminology wrong, but um, A part I of think it's brain. the pre, yeah, the prefrontal <laughs> cortex where it's like, um, it's further uh, front uh, center of the brain. It's like where we tell stories about ourselves, where we're a little bit more creative and active. Uh, that part of the brain lights up when we are freestyling. And it's with anybody. They're musicians, rappers, improvisers. And it gets it expands and it looks like uh, an explosion in the brain when you look at a picture of it. It's really cool. Wow. Uh, and the other part of our brain, which is, I don't know if it's the lateral cortex, I cannot remember. But that's the editor part of our brains. And it's, it shrinks. But it's a colder looking part of the brain. It's like right. blue, while the other one is orange. And that's the part of the brain that's just like, you know, it's there for a reason. And like, there are good purposes of just like, hey, don't eat that. It's <laughs> not good for you. Right, uh, right. But it could take over. It can be like, hey, you weren't that good. Don't do that again. Right. But that shrinks when you're, imp- when you're really in that flow state, when you're really in that good zone. And so when I, when I think about when I, when I am in that dark place and I feel like, oh man, really stunk it up. I just remember like, oh, it's that literal physical part of my brain that's trying to protect me. But, you know, it's, it's not always right. (laughs) Right. You know, you just gotta. All in balance. Yeah. All in balance. Find a way to, well, um, a similar line of uh, questioning. All season long, I've been exploring loss as a transformative agent. And I wondered if there was any professional or personal loss that you experienced where you came out the other side and thought, okay, I'm a different person or I have a different approach to what's going on. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a deep question. Um, yeah, I've experienced loss. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about talk about it um but yeah i uh you know so forgive me if if i go into vagaries like they're just some aspects of this i just legally can't talk about oh Uh, and and, you know emotionally if you if you if you don't talk about it i understand i i mean i've experienced the loss of my father this last fall and so i'm just kind of thank you i've just been really thinking about who am i at this moment and how does the the loss of both of my parents now put me in a state where I'm free to be kind of in a way, whoever I want to be obviously informed by all that has come before. And so I'm a a little bit obsessed with that. So that's why that's where that question comes from for me. And so, yeah, I really appreciate the question. I think it's a great question to, to ponder. Um, And so, and and loss can be the loss of parents, which are devastating or a friend or a loved one. Um, For me, loss was um, an idea. Hmm. It was an idea um, and a loss of opportunity and um, suffering devast- what I felt at the time were devastating consequences uh, when I was in a transitionary period of my life. And I was really fixated on making 
uh, a project, this movie, and I had told certain parties about it and I had worked on it for a while and, you know, um, it didn't work out and sadly, um, you know, it seemed like others had, you know, reaped the benefits of that idea. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yes. That's about as much as I can say to it. No. And like, <laughs> that was, um, that was devastating. Yeah. And crushing. And um, I, and it coincided, you know, with the loss of work. Um, and, you know, as an actor, and writer and creator, our work is us as well. So it's like, it's never just business. It's always personal because you are the personal. Right. And so when these things happen, um, they can compound. And I found myself like, you know, uh, in this point in my life, um, I had just left Boom. Uh, I had an opportunity in LA, that didn't work out. And then I found myself like kind of back in my parents' basement. And so like that loss had happened. And then you, and then like strangely see these people who were close friends and people you came up with gaining massive success. Right. And right. you're in your parents' basement and that, that you're for me. And like, I'm when I say you're, I'm like, talking about me um and so like that was like i was in this really dark place really dark um broke broken and really just like well what what's the point what's the point of this why am i doing this um and that turned inward and then you start to blame yourself and you start to see yourself as untalented and unworthy and there were a few things that got me out of that place. The first I have to give credit to are the wonderful people I have around me. Yeah. Who have filled me with love. I've been with my partner, uh, Laura, for over 16 years. And she was there for that time, uh, as well as my parents um, and friends. Such good friends who were there. who saw me, who saw what happened and just never left. Even when I wanted to push them away, even when I wanted to be left alone, even when I wanted to walk away from it all, um, they stubbornly were like, no, you're too valuable to let go. And if you're in a dark place, um, who, for whoever's listening and like, there's two parts of you. There's one part of you that doesn't want to hear that, but there's that other part of you, just like those two parts of the brain that are on fire or cold when they're improvising, that hears it. That hears that you are valuable. That hears that you are not worth letting go. And luckily, that my part of the, uh, that part of my brain heard it, and it got. So that was like the first part of that. The wonderful people I had around me, and then teaching Hmm. and in this period of time in my life i was teaching uh that's how i that's how i like figured out how to make money um 
teaching improv, teaching theater, teaching substitute teaching, wherever I could go to teach. Uh, so I've like, I taught at my high school, then like uh, came to New York and worked in every borough and every type of school, um, Staten Island, Bronx, uh, worked with young adults in from Rikers with a program called Theater from Scratch. Um, worked in some hard schools in Corona, Queens, hard schools in Harlem, hard schools in Brooklyn and Brownsville. And what I found, I found a lot of profound reality, a lot of profound reality that shook me out of kind of like where I was. Um, I was just like, well, I... I have a lot going for me that these kids are looking up to me for answers. Right. And I can't be here and be half a person when, cause you're not just a teacher. And sadly for, in a lot of situations I was in, you just want to go in and do the job, but it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I don't want to, uh, I'll tell you a story. I hope I, I'll try to sum up, but uh, there was, I was in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. It's my first day teaching theater, uh, to middle school kids at, um, was it Leonardo da Vinci? I'm forgetting the name of the school, but it was, uh, right in the center of Crown Heights and it wasn't far away from where I lived. And I get there and it's a class of like 30 kids and they're all fighting. Just. It's chaos, noise, and luckily we're in the auditorium. So they're all like in the audience, just everything. Teachers are just like arms folded. This is their period off. <laughs> you got them now. Good luck. And so I'm just standing there on the stage first day and I just see all this chaos. And I don't, a big rule of mine was I didn't raise my voice. So I wait five minutes. I wait 10 minutes, I wait 15 minutes. <laughs> and finally they start to slowly calm down. I even hear one kid go like, oh, hey, you know, he's still just waiting. And so like maybe 20 minutes go by mm -hmm. and then they all just quiet up. And I think they're, they just see me standing there on the stage. And I think they're expecting that I'm gonna just unload on. Right. And as soon as they quiet down, I'm like, great. Hey, everybody get up on stage, circle up. <laughs> And they're all like, who is this dude? What's going on? And so they circle around me. And I just was like, okay, uh, threw out my what lesson plan. I was just like, because I only had a few more minutes with them. So I was just like, all right, so tell me what your dreams are. What do you want to do? And one by one, you know, and every dream I'm making sure to affirm, just be like, cool, that's dope. Not to be like, that's unrealistic. So you know, I'm hearing a lot. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be a race car driver. I want to play in the NFL. I want to play in the NFL and be a veterinarian. Dope. You can do that. Right. Totally. Awesome. And then we get to this one girl, the tallest girl in the class. And she says, I want to make it to 21. And I go, excuse me? She's like, yeah, I want to make it to 21 years old. And she said it with a reality and a seriousness and... She wasn't, it was no snideness. There was no sarcasm. It was 
her reality was that she was not going to make it past 21 years old. She said that to me and I was like, oh shit. And I may have actually said, oh shit. <laughs> so in that moment, I instantly, I'm like, all right, everybody uh, have a seat except for you. I want you to stay on stage with me. And I was like, so uh, what do you like to do? And she's like, I like to play basketball. I was like, great. Do you like to play basketball? Or is it like more than a like? Like, so I want something more than you like. She's like, no, I really like playing basketball. I like, I'm like, great. Would you say you love it? She's like, yeah. And so they're middle school kids. So you got to really, <laughs> really pull out. And I'm like, great. You love playing basketball. Do you want to? You're in eighth grade. You're going to be in high school next year. Do you want to play for the team in high school? She's like, yeah. And I was like, guess what? You are going to play for that team. This is what's going to happen. And I paint for her her life plan. And I'm like, so you're playing. You play, you know, you make the team. You're playing the freshman ball. You're so good that you get bumped up to play junior varsity. All right. How old are you? You're still 14. All right. So. Junior varsity, your you know sophomore year, uh, you're too good to be on the junior varsity team. You're on varsity your sophomore year, so you have three years where you're playing varsity, and every every year you guys win, uh, you make it to you know the championships, from the you know from the borough championship to the state championship, and you are there leading them all the way. For all of your years of high school, how old are you when you graduate? She's like 18. I'm like, great. You get uh, a full ride to the school of your choice. And you are now playing in the NCAA. You are a star. People are keeping their eye on you. And you just continue to lead and grow and grow and get better and better. And you graduate with championships and a huge reputation under your name. How old are you when you graduate? She's like, 22. I'm like, yeah, are we past 21? She's like, yeah. I was like, we're not done. <laughs> you get drafted. What's the team you want to play for? She's like, the New York Liberty. You get drafted by the New York Liberty. This is your, but you are not starting. And I'm going to be the coach. This is my office. And you have to come in and convince me to start you. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, that's just the scene. Just come in and convince me that you have to start and not sit on the bench. And so she's like, okay. And she comes in and her head's down. And she's kind of mumbling. She's like, hey, coach, I want to start. I'm like, get out of my office. <laughs> and she's like, excuse me? And the whole class that was fighting, they're all pin drop silent. Right. And so I look to my left and I'm like, anybody got any words of advice? And I, this is my first day. I haven't told them anything <laughs> about what they're doing. They all start raising their hand. She didn't enunciate. Her head was down. There was no confidence in her body. Like, she didn't really want it. And so all the notes that I'm trying to give them through this whole class, they already had. And so she's taking that and, like, she sees, guess what? Your class is now invested in your life. And so I go back to her. I'm like, you want to try again? And she's like, yeah. So she comes back in my office and she's a little better this time. And she's like, you know, head, back is a little straight. Her head is up. She's a little bit clearer in speech, but I still kick her out. And we do this a couple of <laughs> times. just like, ow, ow. And every time the class gives her more notes 
until finally she is passionately banging down my door. I need to start the team. I'm the leader. I'm the the wave that'll rise all the, the tide that'll raise all the ships. Like you need to put me in charge. I'm like, okay. Okay. That's class. And now that story. I was bullshitting that whole time. I had no idea what that lesson was going to be. I was just improving with this girl because I didn't know what to do. Right. But afterwards, I left and like I was in cold sweats, and I was just like, "Yo, get it together." <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, right. and I've had too many experiences like that with kids. Where I'm just like, you know, for them. Just making it to 21 was a big deal. Right. And here I am. I'm there. I'm in the city I love. I have people around me who I love. And I get to teach the thing that I love doing. And I know there was something missing. I wasn't doing it. And I wasn't doing it at the level. But that could change. And so the fact that the loss or what I considered a loss that happened... um, yeah, it was bad, but it didn't kill me. It didn't break me. Right. It didn't, you know, it it happened and I was still alive. And it was just that switch, just seeing these kids, like they taught me. And that like that saved my life. Yeah. Now talk about using that flow part of your brain for good. I, I mean, my my gosh, that's uh such a powerful demonstration of what we can do when we access. Just let's go down this road. Let's imagine what could happen. What are all the potential things in with positive reinforcement and, right. and not letting that little editor editor part of your brain <laughs> seize it and, and, and clamp down and make sure that none of that happens. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. No, it, I mean, it was, uh, I saw her, not too long ago. I don't think she, I don't know if she recognized me. It was like in the park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was a distance, but I saw her and she was like holding hands, I think, with her girlfriend and was very happy. And uh-huh. I was just like, okay, okay. Like, right. I don't know if I helped, <laughs> right. but you're here. You're still alive. And yeah, so right. whether, I'll take that as a win. Whether you know? she's on the liberty or not, uh, <laughs> exactly. she, she was able to at least keep going. And exactly. it sounds like you were able to keep going. Uh, yeah. too, which is uh, amazing. And um, how phenomenal is it for you to now be so acknowledged as yourself, as not a character, not as a, a costume, not as even right. an improviser or part of a company, but you as you, even when you go into announce. I mean, that's got to be pretty astounding to move from that dark place in the basement of I don't have the worth I thought I had to right. I am recognized for me. That, that must be beautiful. Oh, it absolutely is. And thank you for framing it that way. <laughs> um, no, it is. It really is. Um, I've been, you know, so fortunate to, you know, with working with Amber uh, and freestyle as well, like freestyle, uh, even before I worked with Amber, uh, the audition I had with Freestyle was one of the best auditions I had. And it, it snapped for me in that room when I realized I was like, oh, they're not asking for anything other than me. And so after doing this for 20 years, more than 20 plus years of 
you know, um, when you're an actor, yeah, you put on different acts, affects, and what do you want me to be in this room? And to finally just be told yourself is a very comforting and welcoming after so long and so much struggle. um, But is that what everybody wants to? I mean, in the audition room, when it comes down to it, it sounds like you've benefited uh, greatly from those moments where you didn't have a lot invested and were just yourself. (laughs) right 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 yeah no i think it is Uh, ultimately like you know i think about that feeling the reason i'm like well why do i do this and i think i'm still just chasing that feeling i had when i was a kid at play like whether it was in the playground uh sports with action figures with that but like that you are just it's unbridled you even when you're putting on a voice or you know i think when reason we're attracted to actors it's like yeah some of them may be playing different people but some of the ones we really or for me anyway the ones that i really enjoy now are the ones who are un, like you could just tell they're unbridled in their play yeah and you see them you see like almost like their souls come out and it's you could see that like with actors you could see it with musicians anyone in the art when they just are allowed to be and I've, I, the fact that I just get allowed to be me is be- it's, it, it is beautiful. I'm very, very aware and fortunate of it. Um, I am an actor and like, I do hope that I get to put on a funny mustache and people will be like, <laughs> it's still you. And I'm like, yeah, it's still me. But yeah, <laughs> but right now I'm, yeah, it's just, I'm having a ball. Yeah. Well, even our mutual friend, Andrew Bancroft oh, had man. to ditch the jelly donut costume. Right? <laughs> right. Jelly, I love that dude. I love that guy so, so much. Yeah, pretty slick now with the fitted jackets and the fancy <laughs> sneakers. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, what was, I think someone was like, he's got the crooner good looks. And I was like, yeah, he's got the, he's got a Justin Timberlake, like, yeah. he's got the hair and the jackets. Uh, but yes. yeah, he's, yes, he's but such we a, know what, such where he, guy. where he comes from and, and uh, Shockwave as well. Could not have yeah. been easy. I mean, talk about enduring some uncool times, beatboxing <laughs> as a white Oof. kid <laughs> for a long time. For a long time. But he, I yeah. mean, but talk about sticking with it. Sticking with yeah. it. And I, I bet he probably didn't have as many uncool moments because he's always been cool and he's always managed to make that skill really <laughs> work for him. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He has. And I knew, and like the weird thing is like with Shockwave and Jelly and Anthony Vinciali, like, I knew of freestyle, but, like, we were out here at the same time. But, like, you know, I'm so happy that the journey finally led us to meet. Uh, but, yeah, I know, like, uh, for Shock, he was beatboxing and, like, freestyle. They were doing, like, doing shows um, at the drama bookstore and, right. you know, uh you know, in the basement of the drama bookstore, like, you know, I remember doing improv shows there and like, <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, and so to see what they've built, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, all, all great uh, culture starts in the basement. I'm convinced of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, Andrew would always want to do that, like make them ups with the words. And I would, and he'd make a song and I think, yes, that's great. Wonderful. <laughs> but I don't know that that's my scene. Then I went to go see the Broadway show. Mm. And my goodness, you understand how dazzling it is. And uh, there's at one point where somebody does it forward 
and then they do it backwards and it's right. perfect. And I thought, okay, I'm not making fun of that anymore. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the real deal. And they're jumping around. Uh, it, it's amazing. So wonderful that you got to be a, a part of that too. Um, Thank you. you mentioned uh, play and things from childhood. I wondered if there was any like franchise from your childhood that you uh, would want to be a part of. I know you have a sort of an assemblage of various things yeah. behind you that the listener can't see, but there's some kind of odes to culture of the <laughs> various right, yeah, parts yeah, yeah. of the past. Um, uh, is there something you'd like to, you want to be the voice of Skeletor or something? Oh God. that would. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a, he'd be, it'd be a Skeletor over fighting for human. Like let's just, let's just chill. Right. Right. They're like, I'd totally be down for like Skeletor, He-Man, coffee shop conversations. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, that's a, there's so many franchises that I adored as a kid. Um, yeah, if, you know, for listeners, I guess they'll see uh, the screenshot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like um, George Lucas and the Steven Spielberg, like their collaborations. Like cinema, cinema is huge for me, and like the the magic of cinema, um, the magic of literally creating a whole other world, and like to and and fine tuning it to such a point where an audience member is convinced that it's real, but then two either like wants to be in that world, um, and so yes, I think Star Wars is always huge for me, and um, I luckily got a chance to audition for the films a few years ago when before they were being made oh yeah just the idea that i got to audition was the win yeah um, sure uh but yeah if i'm just like a stormtrooper and you don't even know it like i'll be happy happy clam you know <laughs> well i think that the, the one of the takeaways is the journey continues and so many other things is you're able to translate uh, all of the experiences and the person that you are so beautifully from the stage to screen of all sizes. So uh, I'm happy to have had a moment with you. <laughs> and thank you oh, for sharing likewise. so much of yourself in the audio space. Uh, this has been really great, and I appreciate it. It has been my absolute pleasure. So nice to, to be here, Dale. Yes. Uh, well, continued success, and people can watch the Amber Ruffin show. Uh, how? Yeah, uh, you can watch us on Peacock uh, every Friday at 9 p.m., um, we also uh, stream clips on YouTube. Wonderful. Check it out. It's terrific. Uh, Tarek, thank you for being here. Oh, this has been a pleasure. Thank oh, you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, now, that's wonderful. <laughs> I never know where these conversations are going to lead. And I'm so glad we got to the place that we did in this one. My thanks to Tarek for being here and for his work teaching, performing, uh, parenting for that matter, all of those things require being present. And, and to do so, to show up as your authentic self is so magical. And when we can step back and see that there's a lesson in doing that there for us as well, powerful. It's powerful. Friends, thank you for listening and for all you continue uh, to do to teach me. I still learn something every time I do this show. So uh, so I am grateful uh, for that. Now, uh, I'm also grateful that we've reached the end <laughs> of this episode. So I leave you with this a reminder that although this night is ending, 
A bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced, written, and performed by James Bewley. Season 14 artwork by M.K. Cummins. Season 14 theme features lyrics and vocals by Kylie Lotz, music by Austin Lotz, and mixing by Zach Robbins. It's never too late to give Dale a positive review while hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But you can also tune in to Dale's Frequency on Stitcher, Podchaser, SoundCloud, and Spotify, wherever you are. Dale's right there with you. To get in touch with mindfulness tips, positive reinforcement, or just to say hello, email Dale directly at daleradio at gmail.com. Be sure to follow him on Instagram by looking up at Dale Seaver. From our being to yours, thank you for visiting The Deep Night.